Hey, how's it going, y'all? Welcome to the show. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. Uh, yeah, you know, same old thing, man. Anti-war stuff here on the Liberty Radio Network, noon to two, Eastern Time, daily. KPFK 90.7 FM on Sundays. Um, KPFK.org. Uh, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, I meant to say. Uh, but yeah, I'm here in Austin. Like usual. Doing anti-war stuff. Now, I invited Mohammed Sahimi on the show today. Well, that didn't work. And I invited Andy Worthington on the show today, and that didn't work. And actually, I invited a couple other people on the show today, and that didn't work either. I mean, I guess it might still work. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call Muhammad Sahimi uh, at the break. Because unless he's teaching a class at the time, he always does the show. I think he likes doing the show. And I really want to hear what he has to say because, as you may know, as you may have known and then forgotten, but I'll remind you, they held elections in Iran over the weekend, and all of the so-called moderates and reformers won. And all the right-wingers and the hardliners lost. Which, of course, uh, just makes the war party as upset as they can be. Since any so-called moderates, by definition, sort of exude the possibility that they could be dealt with. And the war party, well, they want war. Um, but on the other hand... Everybody who doesn't want war and everybody who uh, supported the Iran deal and argued that um, the Iranian doves would benefit from the success of the Iran deal and the hardliners would lose, uh, they've all been shown to be correct. So, it doesn't mean that they have a democracy. Um, you know, they have... Like we have our uh, Republican and Democratic Party leadership who do the vetting and approving. They have their same uh, corrupt bodies that dictate, their super delegates who dictate from on high who is eligible to stand for election in the first place before the elections are ever held. And uh, people don't like to hear that comparison about America, but our republic is clearly as corrupt as theirs or worse even with a supreme ayatollah over there. Um, but anyway, so that was why when Mohammed Sahimi wrote his important article for the National Interest, breaking down all the different factions and what all was going on in Iranian politics there, he started out by saying, oh, it's not a democracy and these are not democratic elections. Don't let anybody get confused. Um, this is an illegitimate process. On the other hand, it is a process and people do participate in it, and overall, uh, the results are at least indicative of how the people of Iran feel about the situation. They would rather have uh, those who are, well, dare I say, reconcilable <laughs> to the American empire, because um, it caused less trouble. Rouhani got the sanctions lifted. And that doesn't mean they're going to give up their independence. They're not. I think it does mean that the American establishment has recognized that after 35 years of this, they're not going to give up their independence. 
but maybe we could learn to live with them a little bit. That'll be Obama's one success of his presidency will be the nuclear deal with Iran. Now, he could have had it in 2009. But, and Oh, well, anyway. Well. So, yeah, man. Um, anyway. Uh, I want to know more about it. Of course, the Greens and Rouhani, whatever, they're all still supporters of the revolution and the Ayatollah. Which, as far as I'm concerned, um, is almost preferable. I mean, would would any of us prefer that America, that the CIA or the NED or any of these corrupt organizations would be able to go over there and install an American-friendly government? Would or would that not be more harm than good, never mind morality, but just including the interests of the American people and the American empire and everybody else? From the American Empire's greedy, selfish point of view, wouldn't that still be biting off more than we can chew again? Wouldn't we have a bunch of blowback coming on down the line after that, just like the last time? The last ten times. So, anyway. Uh, on, and, you know, it's important here, and, and Sahimi had some things to say about this, that the Ayatollah is dying. All indications are that he has cancer and that, you know, maybe stage three or four are kind of out of control or something. I don't really know for a fact. I don't know if anybody does. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's not just, you know, a bunch of uh, Michael Ledeen or Daniel Pipes ridiculous, pro- you know, Rothson Johnny propaganda or anything like that. I'm pretty sure that comes from kind of official sources that they've acknowledged that he's had colon cancer. And that he's undergone treatment for it. I don't know if he's in remission now or not. I don't know if anybody does. but uh, And you know what? People can beat colon cancer and live for years and years. So I don't know exactly. But there's a very real possibility. And I think he even said, oh, that was what Sahimi said. That he had even said that, you know, publicly, that, you know, chances are he's not going to be around much longer. And he, you know, would like to see this and that sort of political uh, situation established before he's dead. That kind of thing. So anyway, I guess we'll see what happens here. Oh, won't we? Um, yeah, anyway. Uh, what time is it? Well, good. A couple more minutes. Um, well, I'm going to introduce the subject for a moment. The biggest news is the ceasefire seems to be mostly holding... Hmm, I got some musings along those lines. Uh, but before we get back to uh, the Syrian civil war and what all is going on with all of that, got some Coburn to talk about and some other stuff. Uh, I want to direct you toward my website where, uh, if you look close, in the right margin there, you'll find a new sponsor. It's the Ciceronian Society. And, uh, well... They are a society dedicated to the study of tradition, place, and, quote, things divine. And uh, they're holding a big symposium that you guys are invited to. It's in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, on March 10th through the 12th. It's a two- or three-day conference. Yeah, two-day conference. And uh, people will be uh, basically reading their papers all about, um, well, let's see. 
uh, Hans, George, Gadamer, Charles Taylor, Edmund Burke, Stanley Hauserwas, T.S. Eliot, Wendell Berry, Richard Weaver, uh, G.K. Chesterson, Lord Acton, Leo Strauss, that's interesting, John Randolph of Roanoke, David Hume, and anyway, um, I know part of the uh, bit he told me was, let's see, I don't have it in front of me, but uh, Henry David Thoreau, someone's going to be reading paper, a paper about Henry David Thoreau, and no, I don't have it in front of me anymore, guys, but anyway, it's uh, a very high-minded sounding uh, conference coming up here um, March 10th through 12th at Gettysburg College the 2016 annual meeting of the Ciceronian Society. And the keynote address will be by Dr. Carl Truman. And sounds very interesting. Apparently the guy that's the head of it is a fan of the show and likes learning about the corruption and the evil of the American Empire. So, I guess he thought that maybe some of you guys would appreciate what he's got going on over there. It sounds interesting to me. There are times where I think it might be nice to live on the East Coast somewhere so I can attend such type deals. But then again, I don't go to events in Austin. <laughs> so, I hardly even show up for Wednesday night skate night anymore. I'm so old. Anyway, check it out, man. It's Ciceronian.org. Just check out the link right there in the right margin at ScottHorton.org. Right back in a second. Hey, all Scott Horton here for WallStreetWindow.com. Mike Swanson knows his stuff. He made a killing running his own hedge fund and always gets out of the stock market before the government-generated bubbles pop, which is, by the way, what he's doing right now, selling all his stocks and betting on gold and commodities. Sign up at WallStreetWindow.com and get real-time updates from Mike on all his market moves. It's hard to know how to protect your savings and earn a good return in an economy like this. Mike Swanson can help. Follow along on paper and see for yourself. WallStreetWindow.com Hey, all Scott Horton here. It's always safe to say that one should keep at least some of your savings in precious metals as a hedge against inflation. And if this economy ever does heat back up and the banks start expanding credit, rising prices could make metals a very profitable bet. Since 1977, Robertson Roberts Brokerage, Inc. has been helping people buy and sell gold, silver, platinum, and palladium, and they do it well. They're fast, reliable, and trusted for more than 35 years. And they take Bitcoin. Call Robertson Roberts at 1-800-874-9760 or stop by rrbi.co. All right, y'all. Well, I accused Max Boot of being a former commie, but I was wrong, dude. I could have swore that he wasn't he the Social Democrats USA like Gene Kirkpatrick in the 70s. I know I read that. Now that I think about uh, when I read it, though, it was a long time ago. So maybe I really did get that screwed up. But boy, I could have sworn. But I'm reading his right web profile right now, and nobody does the neocons better than them other than Jim Loeb. But right web, you know, they're good because they really focus on the neocons, not just all right wingers, which is too big of a category. Um, but apparently uh, they quote him saying, I don't know if they're contradicting him on this, but they quote him saying that he was never a communist, a Trotskyite, or even a Democrat, that he was always a Republican, which would make him... Uh, you know, more a fellow traveler of the neocons. I guess you could call him a, a later generation neocon in a sense, but not really. I guess that makes him just a con, just a right-wing nationalist like uh, John Bolton. Uh, you know, 
His views are absolutely indistinguishable from the rest of the neocons, but that doesn't make him a neocon if he's not a former commie, really, you know? Although, see, I don't know, it does get a little tricky, like with Bill Crystal. Bill Crystal, you know, was raised up to be the creature that he is by his former commie father, who was no longer a commie by the time Bill Crystal was raised up to be political. So he's always been a Republican. But then again, he's Bill Crystal. He's as neocon as you can get, and he's the son of Irving. So what do you do? Yeah, it's a, it's a definition. Sometimes you got to tweak it a little bit to apply it in certain ways. But I guess, yeah, no, I, I screwed up, dude, on, on Max Boot. I can say one million horrible things about Max Boot, but apparently he was not a former Trotskyite, Shockmanite, Social Democrats, USA, Pinko, Commie. He's just a Republican, which is just as horrible in virtually all the same ways, coincidentally. But anyway, hmm, all right. Hmm. Sorry, need something to drink there. All right, well, I screwed up. And the guy says to me, question mark, really? I didn't know that. And then I Googled it, and then I saw, saw I was wrong. I uh, immediately fessed up to you, and I immediately fessed up on Twitter to the guy. Nope, I fucked up. Totally wrong. So, oh well. I'd rather admit it and get it right from now on than pretend I didn't get it wrong. Hey, my man! Mohammed Sahimi's gonna be here in uh, 40 minutes. How do you like that? Rad. Oh, good, he's got a new piece coming out too. Alright, reply. Great. And send. Alright, that is done. Okay, now, um, yeah, the, um, in case you missed it, go to my website, scotthorton.org. In the right margin there, you'll find, uh, you'll see the new JPEG. Turn off your ad blocker. Uh, and you'll see the JPEG there for Ciceronian.org, the Ciceronian Society. You know, named after Cicero. You know, it's like high-minded conservative, sort of, kind of, not really. I mean, Burke, but yeah, Henry David Thoreau. He's no red stater. So anyway, yeah, you know, old smart stuff for old smart folk and young smart folk who are interested in old smart stuff. Uh, the Ciceronian Society, uh, check them out if you live anywhere near Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. You can get there March 10th through the 12th. They're doing this awesome symposium, people reading brilliant papers to each other. All right. That sounds like a cool thing, man. Uh, one day, I guess I'm just going to... Like on The Sopranos, where dude finds a giant bag full of cash in the head, or, oh, a car drives by and just throws it out the window. And he's like, hey, look, $70,000 or whatever. Yeah, one day, that's going to happen to me, and I'm going to have a million dollars in a Learjet, and I'm just going to fly around and go wherever I want. Until then, I'm just going to, you know, recommend you guys go places, if you can. Ciceronian.org. Again, uh, look for the link in the right margin on the site. All right, now the ceasefire. Violations reported, but serious ceasefire mostly holds. Russia grounds planes. Now, there were a few um, reports on Twitter last night that Russia was still bombing al-Nusra. Or somebody. Uh, both Syrian rebels and government allies reported multiple ceasefire violations over the weekend blaming the other side for all violations, but by and large, the ceasefire held through the weekend with fighting enormously down from pre-ceasefire levels. 
Russia announced late on Saturday it's grounding all its warplanes in Syrian territory, despite the ceasefire allowing them to continue attacks on ISIS and al-Qaeda targets, saying they didn't want there to be any mistakes to threaten the truce. I wonder how long that'll last. The rebels also say they're going to stick to the ceasefire for the time being. They also intend to complain to the U.N. about Russian violations and also complain about the U.S. not keeping them more directly involved in the negotiations. Well, that's absolutely freaking amazing. I don't even know what to make of it, kids, at all. I mean, I know I'm repeating myself, but it makes sense to me that when Putin tells Assad that, hey, I want a ceasefire and I would like you to communicate my wish to Hezbollah and, you know, the Bada Brigade and your other Shiite allies that are there helping you, please, that they can get that done. That makes sense, right? But the CIA has that much control over Arar al-Sham that they can just turn them off like that? And I guess, you know, a lot of it is unclear, right? To what degree is al-Nusra going along with this? I would have thought that al-Nusra would be uh, still fighting and that most of Arar al-Sham would peel off with them. guess everybody would like a respite from bombing for a few days if they can get one. Interesting that the Russians are at least saying that for now they're going to hold back and not even bomb the Islamic State or al-Nusra. Maybe the Americans uh, convinced them to give Arar al-Sham time to split away from al-Nusra. And, you know, I ain't trying to be naive here. I've been covering the CIA support for the terrorists in Syria since 2011, as many of you know. I ain't saying that. I am surprised by what, you know, the seeming degree of control over these guys. Training them and arming them is one thing. Telling them what to do is something entirely different. Telling them to stop fighting and then they say, okay, how'd they do that? <laughs> did anybody report on how they did that? We promise to give you a lot more guns later if you'll stop fighting for a couple of weeks here or what? And I guess they're under a lot of pressure. They've been... You know, biting off the Idlib province was more than they could chew and provoked this Russian reaction back last fall. Now they've lost Aleppo and uh, all the different, or most of the different jihadist groups, I guess, have been run out of Aleppo, along with a hell of a lot of civilians, too. But um, I don't know, man. The biggest instance of fighting over the weekend with parties not directly involved in the ceasefire as ISIS attacked a Kurdish-held town and Al-Qaeda's Nusra Front launched attacks against coastal Latakia. So, there's that. Hmm. All right, more on Syria probably. Right, yeah, and Libya when we get back. You hate government? One of them libertarian types? Or maybe you just can't stand the president, gun grabbers, or warmongers? Me too. That's why I invented LibertyStickers.com. Well, Rick owns it now, and I didn't make up all of them, but still, if you're driving around and want to tell everyone else how wrong their politics are, there's only one place to go. LibertyStickers.com has got your bumper covered. Left, right, libertarian, empire, police, state, founders, quote, central banking. Yes, bumper stickers about central banking. Lots of them. And, well, everything that matters. LibertyStickers.com. Everyone else's stickers suck.
Hey, all Scott here. If you like me, you need coffee. Lots of it. And you probably prefer it tastes good, too. Well, let me tell you about Darren's Coffee Company at darrenscoffee.com. Darren Marion is a natural entrepreneur who decided to leave his corporate job and strike out on his own, making great coffee. And Darren's Coffee is now delivering right to your door. Darren gets his beans direct from farmers around the world. All specialty, premium grade, with no filler. Hey, the man just wants everyone to have a chance to taste this great coffee. Darren'sCoffee.com. Use promo code Scott and you get free shipping. Darren'sCoffee.com. All right, y'all, welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. Hmm, well... Guess Iraq War stuff, Islamic State War. ISIS bombers kill 70 in Shiite market in Baghdad. Motorcycle bombers. Um, but then, uh, on the other hand, I read this piece by Patrick Coburn. Is it on the site today? It's already on the site. Wait, I gotta get it for you here. Patrick, Patrick, where are you? Where the hell is it? Thought it was on the site. Oh, it's up in the top news section somewhere. Um, Patrick Coburn has a new giant piece in the London Review of Books. This isn't it, is it? I think that was a independent. Ah, hell. Anyway, um, Patrick Coburn, man, he's got one in the London Review of Books. And one in uh, the Independent about all the pressure on the Islamic State right now. And the the important part I'm trying to get to here is about, I think he says he's on the road from uh, Kurdistan down to Baghdad. And he saw a huge convoy of trucks of the Shiistan army and militias on their way up to meet with the Peshmerga in in their preparations for an assault on Mosul. And I've been hearing a few different things about that lately. And uh, I only just interviewed Patrick last week. I'm trying not to annoy him too much. Didn't I ask him about what was going on up there in Mosul? I think he had written last week or two weeks ago that he didn't think they were really ready. But something tells me that they're going to try to attack Mosul here pretty soon. But, uh, yeah, I really don't know, man. I, I sent an email, actually, to Mitch Prothero, who, uh, as you guys may or may not know, McClatchy closed down their Foreign Policy Bureau, fired uh, Prothero and Landay, and I guess Roy Gutman, too. Um, and so Prothero landed over at BuzzFeed, where he got the Michael Hastings scholarship or whatever it is, where they pay him money to be a reporter there. He was taking a little break before getting back to work. But I thought, you know, I could have him on as sort of an analyst rather than, um, you know, reporting a, you know, a major new piece or anything like that. Maybe he could just sort of give us his view on overall strength of the different players there. Of course, in real life, you can't do better than Patrick Coburn and his piece. Let me find his piece for you here. I have it in my email. A friend sent it last night. Um, London Review of Books. End Times for the Caliphate. That's the, um, that's the article, uh, lrb.co.uk, lrb.co.uk, end times for the caliphate. And another thing that Patrick talks about in here is the creation of the Syrian Kurdish state and the precarious position that they're in. 
Uh, right now, of course, America is supporting and, and Russia too are working together. Well, at least side by side, sort of like America and Iran in Iraq, right? Working side by side with the Russians to back the Syrian Kurds against the Islamic State. But once the Islamic State is gone, you don't have to be a student of Henry Kissinger to see what happens next. America stabs them in the back and leaves them high and dry to the tender mercies of the Turks. And after all, I don't know, at some point here the Russians are going to leave. Once the Islamic State is defeated and, and Damascus is secure, I mean, the Russians just don't have the money to keep this up for years on end, American style, right? So... Um, this new state of Rajava is what they call it. Uh, is it a state? It's a Bukchanite area. <laughs> they're trying to be stateless, but they kind of got a state. They're at war and they're backed by both opposing major powers in the war. And, you know, I keep thinking about my interview with uh, Tom Woods the other day. I don't know if you guys ever heard that or not. But uh, it was really bad, and I actually listened to the first part of it, and um, actually quit after about ten minutes. Just I got distracted; I had other stuff to do. But it really wasn't going well. And the way that I blew it was, he asked me the first question was break down first. Just tell me who's on whose side, and then I went straight into the backstory. And what I totally should have done was try to do who's on whose side. This is the same as the last speech I gave in Fort Worth. That's how I tr it didn't really work well. But I tried to start with America's backing this side here and this side here and this side here. And it's supposed to be a ridiculous, confusing mess where you're laughing by the end of it because of how completely ridiculous it is. And, you know, even if you're not exactly sure, you can pretty much take my word for it when I tell you that, yeah, America still backs the Bada Brigade under the El Salvador option plan of 2005 in Iraq while we're still backing the Kurds and the Mujahideen against them in, uh, well, I guess not the Kurds, just the Mujahideen in Syria against them. The Kurds are, they want independence from Assad, the Syrian Kurds. They want independence from Assad, but they don't support his overthrow. And they've been fighting against the CIA-backed Mujahideen, too. Anyway, lucky you see. That was what he asked me, and that's what I should have said, was it's the axis of Saudi versus the axis of Iran. So it's USA, Saudi, Qatar, Turkey, Jordan, less so, and Israel on one side. And it's Russia, Iran, the Syrian government, uh, Hezbollah on the other side. And with the Kurds all stuck in the middle. And with the Mujahideen being used by the American side, but also being set up to be all stabbed in the back and destroyed too. And so that was the, the stories from last week was um, Nancy Youssef, the great Nancy Youssef had a piece about the Bada Brigade fighting against the Mujahideen. That's the Iraqi Shiite militia fighting against the Mujahideen and for Iran and Hezbollah and Assad in Syria. And then BuzzFeed came out with a piece about the Kurds that are backed by the Pentagon and the special forces and Russia fighting against the Mujahideen, the, I guess, Arar al-Sham and other, you know, associates of Al-Qaeda there uh, on the other side. And they got the great quotes from the Bin Ladenites saying, 
Well, I don't understand American politics, man. What the hell is going on here? Can't you guys ask those guys to stop shooting us? What the hell? <laughs> and then I guess the CIA is saying, no, we can't, or I don't know what. Um, but, um, you know, again, I think what, you know, the bottom line on the ceasefire story is that the biggest, most powerful factions on the Mujahideen side, the Islamic State and the Al-Nusra Front, they're not bound by it. They might take a bit of a respite here. Uh, but the Russians and the Americans are not bound by the ceasefire to stop bombing them either. The Americans are, of course, only bombing the Islamic State. They don't bomb al-Qaeda in Syria because they like al-Qaeda in Syria. The U.S. government's been backing al-Qaeda in Syria. And, you know, when they say, oh, Arar al-Sham, like they're like, oh, they're... You know, a little bit to the left of of Al Qaeda or something like that. Arar al Sham was founded by original Al Qaeda members, original friends of Osama, and they still have their loyalty to Ayman al Zawahiri, just the same as the Nusra Front. The only difference is that they're not on the terrorist list, so the CIA can give them guns and money to share with their allies, the Al Nusra Front, which is avowedly. Uh, I guess, more avowedly pro-Al-Qaeda, which is, you know, admittedly nothing but Al-Qaeda in Syria, whereas Arar al-Sham pretends to be a little bit less. But what do they want? They want suicide bombings and head choppings and eventually a caliphate just like the Islamic State. They just want it eventually instead of now, and they want it under their own control instead of this guy Baghdadi's who's from a more Iraqi-dominated faction. But anyway, if you want to get, you know, really confused and then straightened out about what the hell this mess is about, read Patrick Coburn, man. you got to read Patrick Coburn. Here he is in the London Review of Books, End Times for the Caliphate. Hey, Al Scott Horton here for MPV Engineering. This isn't for all of you, but for high-end contractors specializing in industrial construction and end-users who own and operate industrial equipment, MPV offers licensed professional consulting on chemical and mechanical engineering for your projects. Tanks, pressure vessels, piping, heat exchangers, HVAC equipment, chemical reactors for oil companies or manufacturing facilities, as well as project management support and troubleshooting for those implementing designs. MPV will get your industrial project up and running. Head over to mpvengineering.com. Superior blends of premium coffee. Roasted fresh in Zionsville, Indiana. Darren's coffee satisfies the casual and the connoisseur. Scott Horton Show listeners, visit darrenscoffee.com and use the coupon code SCOTT at checkout for free shipping. darrenscoffee.com Because everyone deserves to drink great coffee. All right, y'all, welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. So check it out. Uh, did you guys see over the weekend? Um, in the New York Times, did I just say that? Hillary Clinton's smart power in a dictator's fall by Joe Becker and Scott Shane. Now, I warn you, there's some, you know, I guess my biggest problem, things misstated in this article would be where they pretend that, you know, in Goldilocks terms... That, uh, you know, Syria was just too cold and Obama did nothing in Syria. Well, that's just not true. You know, I try to say, oh, like Libya was just right, but even, you know, Iraq was too hot, Syria too cold, Libya was just right, but that didn't work either. 
That's basically the way they're trying to do it. And uh, the truth, of course, is that, no, the CIA, under Obama's orders, has been supporting the terrorists in Syria since 2011. And all that Scott Shane and Joe Becker had to do was read the New York Times that they write for in order to know that. So, come on, guys, let's not keep it too compartmentalized in one newspaper, the newspaper of record. But anyway, those are mostly just asides in the article, because the article is about what happened in Libya, and it's a two-part article. Uh, Hillary Clinton's smart power and a dictator's fall, and then part two is a new Libya with very little time left. And so the first part is mostly how she got us into this war. And it's amazing, actually, the degree to which... um, even I play along with this idea that this wasn't all Obama's fault. And I try to make sure to say every time that responsibility is a quality, not a quantity. And so she and Obama can both share 100% responsibility. As I say in this article, he did it, but he did it because she convinced him to do it. Now, how she convinced him to do it, I have no idea. I just, seriously, man. And I know who Obama is. I ain't naive about him. I never have been naive about him for a single day. I hated him since the moment I ever first heard of him in January 2007. And somewhere I have the audio to prove it, actually, from the old chaos report. Um, Never been naive about what a horrible warmonger he is or whatever. But how stupid he is, I I mean, I knew he was going to do it then. I remember Just Romano saying, he's not going to do it. He's not that stupid. And I said, oh, yeah, see, once you're reduced to making arguments like that, then we know that the truth is he is going to do it. You can't rely on these people being too smart or moral or anything. And, again, as Robert Gates puts it in his book, and this is the part that's just unbelievable to me, almost, is Obama, in his own words, says it was a 51 to 49% decision in his mind. He was just barely convinced to do it by 1%, and that was because of Hillary Clinton's full-throated support for intervention. And why? Because she met with the Libyan Chalabi for a day. I'm not saying why that was her motivation, but why she decided that it was a good idea to go ahead and do it was because she talked to this guy, Jabril, Mohammed Jabril, in a hotel one night. The Libyan Chalabi for one night. And he said, oh, yeah, no, I'm totally going to take care of everything. And she said, but are you going to take care of this? And he said, yes. And she said, yeah, but are you going to take care of that? And he said, yes, of course I will. It's going to be great. And that was it. Hillary Clinton, dumb ass. It's just unbelievable. It really is. If you read this article, it's believable for how believable it is. Just like when you look at the damn emails where I'm not talking about the Brad Hoff ones where we get into the forces behind it, you know, in real terms, but look at her communications with Anne Marie Slaughter, her little, you know, who wants to be, you know, her secretary of state when Hillary Clinton is the president, if she's the president, Anne Marie Slaughter and Victoria Newland and others are fighting over that slot. And, um, Anne Marie Slaughter, you know, she's a little junior Hillary Clinton. And she wrote, oh, bravo to you for convincing the president to do this, to save the people. And just like I always told you, to put America on the right side of history, the Arab Spring, you know, in public relations terms, by sacrificing a pet 
dictator. And then Slaughter, she tries to back down in this article and claims, and they don't verify this, they just claim it too, that she had turned halfway against the war after the start of it and said that they should compromise and keep one of Gaddafi's sons. I don't remember that. As Donald Trump himself put it, once the war started, which he supported and he demanded the war uh, be started to save the poor people there, and then he said, once it started, that we gotta get rid of Gaddafi now or else America will have a black eye and look like a wimp if they start a war but don't back all the way down. You know, as far as I'm concerned, that may have been, you know, Hillary Clinton might have heard him say that and decided that, yeah, he's right. There's no way we can back down now. Even Donald Trump is saying that once you start a war against somebody, you've got to sodomize him with a bayonet and shoot him in the back of the head and laugh about it. Or else you'll have a black eye. Um, you know, Trump turned against the war five months into it. But before it started, he demanded a war in Libya. Oh, to save the poor people. As though any of these lies were, were true. That Gaddafi had a, had all of a sudden raised an army that he never had before and gave them all Viagra so that they could rape every woman on the way to Benghazi. What a joke. People are so stupid for believing in that. And you know what's most, most notable about the Libya war back when it happened was no one even cared. It wasn't even really a big news story very much, except when they fought about it in the Congress a little bit, because liberals didn't want to pay attention to the fact that their hero, Barack Obama, was mass murdering people, and in fact that he and Hillary were the Grand Dragon and the Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, respectively, leading racist mobs in massive pogroms against black Africans in Libya. Boy, you don't want to see that on TV. Barack Obama, the grand dragon of the Libyan clan, as black men are hanging from their necks, as their women are being rounded up and mass raped, really? Not like fake lies about Viagra, but really in real life as a consequence of a policy based on lies about armies mass raping with Viagra? Yeah. And our guy David Enders was there, and I talked to him on this show, and David Enders went and he had interviewed the ladies in the refugee camp himself. Hillary's terrorists come every night and rape them. They wipe one town. Uh, I always have a hard time memorizing the name of this town. Um, that was predominantly a black African town that they just wiped off the face of the earth. Nobody knows. I don't know if there's if they're all dead or what percentage of them were massacred and which percentage of them were just, you know, ran out of town. Um, but anyway, yeah, there's something you don't hear too much coverage of. And I guess the conservatives wouldn't want to give Obama any credit for that. That's why they only complain about one day at Benghazi. One day at Benghazi when an ambassador got killed, they're so concerned about. But the entire war is perfectly fine. You think there's a ceiling on the number of dead, innocent people that conservative Americans and the Republican Party can put up with? Yeah, don't make that bet. But they wouldn't want to give Obama the credit. So most Americans paid very little attention to the Libya war. They're hardly concerned at all. And uh, the place is a complete wreck. And you got to read the thing. You know, I really should have, I really need to get in the habit of uh, using my uh, little highlighter add-on here uh, to take notes 
when I read these long articles, so I have them for later. Or just jot them down. I can't really remember anything very important in here. Um, any real important quote. I mean, I guess this is part of it. Like, and this sounds like it's just cover. It's, I'm not saying it's, and maybe it, e- it is even meant to be a limited hangout in a way. Obviously, there are uh, huge interests at stake in a war like this. But for how the, the actors involved convince themselves to do it, I think this is relevant. Anne-Marie Slaughter says of Hillary Clinton, she has repeatedly spoken of wanting to be caught trying. In other words, she'd rather be criticized for what she has done than for having done nothing at all. Oh, she's very careful and reflective, Slaughter said. But when the choice is between action and inaction, and you've got risks in either direction, which you often do, she'd rather be caught trying. Right? Straight out of that old sitcom, Yes, Prime Minister. Something must be done. This is something. We must do it. That's it. Simple as that. Rather turn the world upside down. Rather fight a war for Osama before his body even hits the ocean floor or the the ground in the Hindu Kush, whichever. Probably throw it out of the helicopter in pieces. <laughs> Maybe. Hey, Al Scott here. The Ciceronian Society is an interdisciplinary group devoted to the timeless themes of place, tradition, and things divine. You are invited to their sixth annual conference to hear two days of papers on important thinkers from Plato and St. Benedict to John Locke, Hayek, and Henry David Thoreau. The conference is March 10th through 12th in historic Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, less than two hours from D.C. and Baltimore. Register at CiceroneanSociety.com. Hey, I'll check out the audiobook of Lou Rockwell's Fascism versus Capitalism, narrated by me, Scott Horton, at audible.com. It's a great collection of his essays and speeches on the important tradition of liberty. From medieval history to the Ron Paul Revolution, Rockwell blasts our status enemies, profiles our greatest libertarian heroes, and prescribes the path forward in the battle against Leviathan. Fascism versus Capitalism by Lou Rockwell for audiobook. Find it at Audible, Amazon, iTunes, or just click in the right margin of my website at scotthorton.org. Oops. I screwed up and I waited too long to call Mohammed Sahimi and then I uh, got the wrong number. Well, I got him at his house, but I need him at his work. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to email him and I'm going to call him in the next segment and it'll be great. Need work number. Don't. Sorry, guys. But that'll, come, that'll be coming on here in uh, just a few minutes. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, uh, yeah, so NYT two-parter on Libya, okay? Read it. It's worth your read, okay? It's it's worth looking at. Um, not that it'll hurt or nobody cares, but I do and you do, so. Okay. Um, hmm. I don't really want to talk about politics very much. Maybe I'll save politics till the end. Um, how about remembering Waco and the first World Trade Center bombing? Uh, both of their anniversaries, I guess. The World Trade Center bombing anniversaries yesterday, Waco the day before that. Or the, the start of the Waco massacre. And I realize that we live in the future now and that I'm an old man and that a lot of people listening to this show don't know anything about it. It was so long ago. It was like, you know, the Kennedy assassination of me or something just took place before my time, man. None of my business. What the hell do I know or care? 
kind of thing. But you should know her care because it's really important. And I still remember the very first clip of the Waco raid that I saw on TV. And it was uh, all the ATFs, uh, you know, stormtrooper SWAT guys on the roof of the building, kicking in the window, going in there. And at first, you know, it's like when you see a plastic bag and you think it might be a cat, you know, blowing in the wind or the, the bag blowing in the wind and your mind's eye tries to make sense of what you're looking at and you get it wrong first. So my very first impression of what I was looking at was I was looking at a, a small motel or a small apartment complex where the balcony is on the outside, you know, uh, along the, the outside of the doors or something. And some kind of compound, some. It was because all the SWAT officers were up on the roof, the, the ATF, jackbooted thugs were up on the roof. And then I realized very quickly, oh, okay, they're up on the roof, kicking in this window, going in there. The clip they showed, and um, and I'll never forget the 51 days of demonization of the human beings, the Texans. Inside that plywood house that they try to refer to as some kind of, you know, military station, command bunker inside the compound. And it's just a bunch of women and children. A break-off group of the Seventh-day Adventists. Not too much more end times than the average, you know, very evangelical Christian. A bit more end times than that, but not by too much. And anyway, it was not a Charles Manson or Jim Jones cult. They were not stockpiling weapons to hurt anyone with. They had a gun business. And if you remember the propaganda from back then, but you never you know, looked into it after that, then you wouldn't even know. They had a gun business. You want to know a funny anecdote? From the Waco massacre story, the morning of the raid when the cops came at 9 o'clock in the morning, on a Sunday morning, um, maybe it was a Saturday actually, now that I think about it, anyway, um, there was a guy named, um, ah man, don't let me forget his name now, Frank or Fred, ah hell, I'm old. But one of these guys, one of the Branch Davidians had left that morning in a dually pickup truck, you know, like a Ford F-250 or 350 uh, or a Dodge, you know, kind of full-size truck with uh, four wheels on the back. So, you know, full-size bed, work truck, pulling a U-Haul trailer. Oh, and I meant to say, the dually truck had a camper shell on it. And then he's pulling a U-Haul trailer. Both uh, the bed of the truck and the U-Haul trailer were full of rifles. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rifles. 90% of the Branch Davidians' so-called stockpile of weapons. And the reason that he left that morning wasn't because they knew there was going to be a raid and he was ski-daddling and high-tailing it out of there in order to not get in trouble. He was just driving down to Austin to go to the gun show at 290-935 in the old Best Building to sell his guns. Because, like, tens of thousands of other Texans, they had a legitimate gun business. Buying and selling guns on the open market. Simple as that. They would have had you believe that Branch Davidians were arming up, create, raising up an army, preparing to invade Waco. 
I guess like Gaddafi in Benghazi, gonna hunt down and kill every last man, woman, and child in the town if we don't stop them. And worse than that, they refuse to come out for weeks and weeks and weeks on end while the housewives of Austin, Texas were trying to get back to their soap operas and game shows. And that, after all, ladies and gentlemen, was the Branch Davidians' real crime. Not failing to pay a $200 tax on a rifle. Not burning their own children to death. Which they didn't do. That was a sarcastic kind of a thing, paraphrasing a false accusation against them, of course. Their crime was interrupting Bob Barker and Days of Our Lives. And so the people of Texas, the people of America, the housewives especially, willed them dead. Dead, dead, dead. And the USA Today poll the next day, after they were all burnt to death, 86 of them, including their babies, 93% of the American people supported the crushing of their house, which one way or the other inescapably led to the fire that killed 86 human beings, Americans, Texans, Christians, all the identities that Americans identify with. Oh, but not higher than the state, not higher than their love for the police and their vicarious thrill that they get when police murder people like they wish they could do, like they wish they had a license to do. And they loved it, and they exulted in blaming the Branch Davidians for their own mass murder, calling it a suicide. Yeah, too bad it's a proven fact beyond any shadow of a doubt that that is not true. That the government set that fire. The government, even the Delta Force Army Combat Applications Group Team B, even put a bomb on top of the one concrete room, the vault, the pantry, really, that they called the bunker. That had nothing but women and children in it. And they bombed that room. And the ones who hadn't already suffocated or been poisoned uh, to death or baked to death by the heat were crushed by the falling concrete on their skulls. Because the price is right, man. Because I'm trying to watch the price is right here, everybody. That's the biggest omission of, of Waco, the rules of engagement, is the mood of the ladies at the grocery store. Kill them, kill them all. I say we just go in there and end it. That is an exact quote of every single rich white housewife in northwest Austin, Texas, in February through Mid-April 1993. Go in there and end it. Meaning kill their babies. That was the moms of Austin, Texas. Kill them, kill them, kill them, because I want to get back to days of our lives and I can't stand it anymore. Goddamn Branch Davidians. You know, I heard he said he was Jesus, so we should nail him to a tree until he's dead. That'll make me feel better. Goddamn Republicans and Democrats. Goddamn adults, free human beings of Texas, the great state of Texas. How dare you refuse to obey the orders of the FBI. When they tell you to lay down and die, you die. 
Right? That's the American way. I mean, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Hey, Al Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new book by Michael Swanson, The War State. In The War State, Swanson examines how Presidents Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy both expanded and fought to limit the rise of the new national security state after World War II. This nation is ever to live up to its creed of liberty and prosperity for everyone. We are going to have to abolish the empire. Know your enemy. Get The War State by Michael Swanson. It's available at your local bookstore or at Amazon.com in Kindle or in paperback. Just click the book in the right margin at scotthorton.org or thewarstate.com. Hey, I'll Scott here. First, I want to take a second to thank all the show's listeners, sponsors, and supporters for helping make this show what it is. I literally couldn't do it without you. And now I want to tell you about the newest way to help support the show. Whenever you shop at Amazon.com, stop by ScottHorton.org first. And just click the Amazon logo on the right side of the page. That way, the show will get a kickback from Amazon's end of the sale. It won't cost you an extra cent. And it's not just books. Amazon.com sells just about everything in the world except cars, I think. So whatever you need, they've got it. Just click the Amazon logo on the right side of the page at ScottHorton.org or go to ScottHorton.org slash Amazon. And the United States of America has got to continue to take the lead. And so in Afghanistan, yeah, we're making progress. Does that mean, you know, that we're, you know, it's over? No, it doesn't mean it's over. We're in a long struggle, as, I, as I've told you many a time, against these jihadists. You defeat them ultimately by the advance of democracy. See, this is an ideological struggle. These aren't isolated kind of law enforcement moments. We're dealing with a group of ideologues who use asymmetrical warfare, that means killing innocent people, to try to achieve their objectives. And one objective is to drive us out of Afghanistan, Iraq, the Middle East, or anywhere else where we try to confront them. And so, yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> is it tough? Yeah, it's tough. Is it difficult? Absolutely. Is it worth the fight? In my judgment, yes, it is. <laughs> it's hard work, but we're making progress, everybody. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, they're trying to kick us out of all the places where we're trying to confront them. Oh, they are, huh? And uh, who was where first? Boy, what a tough one to try to figure out. Let's see. Ronald Reagan used to take the money right out of my dad's paycheck and give it to the terrorists. And then America occupied Saudi Arabia permanently. And then terrorists started attacking the United States. God damn, it's so difficult to figure this out. Huh. Not one of these Al-Qaeda terrorists that attacked the United States in from 1993 in the first World Trade Center attack all the way through September 11th was from Iraq, Iran, or Syria. They're all almost entirely Saudis and Egyptians and Yemenis. Why? Because we support their governments that torture and murder them. And there's George Bush admitting it. Cause and effect. He tries to, you know, pretend that it's the other way around, and yet he's conceding in his own half-assed argument there, isn't he? It sure does sound like it to me. All right. Um, hey, man, if you guys want to do calls, call in, because uh, I can't get a hold of Mohammed Sahimi because I got the wrong number for him. So, uh, but if you guys want to call in the show... Uh, talk about politics or talk about the wars or whatever you want, man. The number is 512-271-4836. 512-271-4836. And then, uh, oh yeah, I guess I should copy and paste that in the chat room for you guys. Grab a pen and write on your hand or something. 512-271-4836. If you want to call on the show. Um, I'm going to talk about Trump and the Klan thing. 
Yeah, it was kind of a setup, but not really. And and what an easy setup. Now, Trump is saying today his excuse is that his earpiece was not in very good or something like that. Uh, but that is only compelling if you ignore the rest of his argument, which was that he doesn't know anything about David Duke. Of course he does. Every American knows who David Duke is. And I saw a libertarian tweet out, here's a quote from Donald Trump denouncing David Duke and calling him a Klansman back in the year 2000. And then just the other day, a reporter said to Donald Trump, David Duke endorsed you. Didn't say the word Klan, just said David Duke endorsed you. And he goes, oh, he did, huh? Well, and the reporter said, well, do you, uh, you know, repudiate his support? And Trump says, yes, of course, I repudiate it. There, you happy? Then Jake Tapper asks him the same question, and he blusters. And Tapper asked him again and again, and gave him all this time. And I sort of kind of half-assed believe his excuse, actually, that his earpiece was, you know, either not in or he couldn't hear very well. And because it's, and I'm saying, this already seemed to me before he even said that, that when Tapper said to him, I'm talking about the Ku Klux Klan. That I, it seemed to me like he didn't hear that. Um, not that he was pretending not to hear it, but it seemed like he didn't hear that. But the thing is, though, is he didn't need to say that. We're talking about David Duke. Everybody knows that David Duke is the Grand Wizard of the Klan, or the former one, that he's a white supremacist. And any idiot, even if he could only halfway hear, Donald Trump had to understand the question was about white supremacists supporting him. And Tapper's saying, do you repudiate support from white supremacists? And he's saying, well, I don't know which groups, which groups. I don't know which ones are you referring to. Send me a list of the groups, and then I'll go through, and I'll repudiate them one by one if I feel like it or whatever. But the question was not about groups that others say are white supremacists. The question was about groups who are avowed white supremacists. Again, David Duke and the Klan. He didn't say Nazis or the Aryan Republican, whatever the crap, FBI undercover informants or whatever. He, But he was being very explicit that he was talking about avowed white supremacists. So no matter how poorly Trump was pretending or, or could even hear the conversation uh, on Tapper's end, still, I mean, if you watch it, it's unbelievable. Has a politician ever been pitched such a softball? Right? And no politician in any other circumstances, other than they're trying to smear Ron Paul, no other politician be held responsible for being endorsed by some, you know, completely right-wing white supremacist wingnut piece of garbage like David Duke. But then any other politician, if he did say something nice about them, would have no problem saying, not only do I repudiate, repudiate, I saw Sarah Palin now, not only do I repudiate David Duke, he can go and jump in a magma pit. I mean, what? Give me a break, dude. David Duke. Tell you what, David Duke, go and drown yourself at the bottom of the ocean, and then after you're dead, then I'll start listening to the things that you think. How about that? Is that difficult to conjure up? So now he says, well, you know, I just couldn't hear well. And I think the thing is, is that he's calculated that he can excuse himself later. But he doesn't want to absolutely tell the right-wing white supremacist. I mean, and that's to the right of the right. I'm not trying to smear all right-wingers as white supremacists. Um, but I think, you know, he appreciates their support. 
And he doesn't want to tell them to go to hell. And and how he made the business or political calculation that that's worth the trade-off, I swear to God, I can't understand it. I mean, the guy's an asshole. I'm sure he's a racist. You know, his father was arrested in 1927, at least accused by the cops of being part of a KKK brawl back in the day. So maybe it's a proud heritage in his family. Did you realize there was a big Klan presence in Queens in the 20s? Why not? Uh, but anyway, um, on the not flip side of that, some other point to make about the Trump thing is uh, he's no Bob Bird. That's true. Bird, although, you know, at least apologized and, and, you know, said he was sorry he was over in the Klan or whatever. He was a horrible guy anyway, but, um, the other thing is, here's the thing about Trump that's, uh, it's almost like it's, uh, I got kind of a reverse 9-11 truth or conspiracy theory going on here where I think the neocons have all been bought up by Donald Trump and that he's paying Jonah Goldberg and Jennifer Rubin and the rest to attack him because it makes him look like a good person being attacked by the neoconservatives. Either that or, or are they so dumb they can't tell that that's how we feel about them? The neocons? Hey, I'll Scott Horton here for Liberty.me, the great libertarian social network. They've got all the social media bells and whistles. Plus, you get your own publishing site, and there are classes, shows, books, and resources of all kinds. And I host two shows on Liberty.me. Eye on the Empire with Liberty.me's Chief Liberty Officer Jeffrey Tucker every other Tuesday, and The Future of Freedom with FFF founder and president Jacob Hornberger every Thursday night, both at 8 Eastern. When you sign up, add me as a friend on there, scotthorton.liberty.me. Be free. Liberty.me. All right, y'all, welcome back. It's my show, Scott Horton Show. Uh, in the chat room, I'm I'm called a dipstick. <laughs> That's a good one, dipstick. I like that. Um, Duke hadn't been a Klansman for 40 years. Yeah, I said former. But so what? Everybody knows he still loves them and they still love him and he speaks for them and there's no daylight there. And he's, I mean, what are you saying? He's no longer an avowed white supremacist? Give me a break. No, what's, what's the point of that even? Like there's some huge distance between the two on what issues? Um, anyway. But more to the point, what's hilarious is watching the neoconservatives and the Republican Party establishment completely panicking and flipping out about him. And they won't stop attacking him for refusing to release his tax returns? Is that what they really think they're going to hurt him with? A bunch of government employees complaining that this businessman hasn't been robbed enough by the IRS? And that's going to appeal to that sense in who? I mean, maybe some Democrats, but they're not the ones voting in the Republican primaries. They think that Republican are they even asking themselves, hmm, what would it be like to be kind of a broke ass right wing, you know, uh, conservative, formerly employed kind of white collar Trump supporter? And here Jonah Goldberg and Mitt Romney. <laughs> attacking and Jennifer Rubin. Attacking Donald Trump for not paying his taxes. 
It's, it is. It's like a false flag attack. Like all the neocons work for Trump now. Hey, Jonah Goldberg, go out there and oppose me some more. Hey, Jennifer Rubin, go out there and tell the people why I'm not reliable enough when it comes to the issue of starting more wars for you. I mean, if I was Donald Trump, I'd be paying these neocons for their opposition. And can they really be? I mean, whatever. I understand how confirmation bias and these kind of things work. But can they really be so deaf, blind and stupid that they don't understand that people hate them? Donald Trump is not a true conservative. Conservatism being defined as loyalty to the Bush family and whatever mass murders and spending they commit to. What? Commit and commit to. That's exactly what the American people want to hear, is a bunch of people they hate saying he is not truly one of us. And they're saying, yeah, I know, that's why we like him. And the Republicans go, well, we think he probably didn't pay the IRS enough. And the conservative rank and file are just going, or the Republican rank and file, whatever you call them, are saying, yeah, we're voting for him, not you. And they can't understand that? And this is not calculus, like they always say in D.C. This is simple arithmetic. You know, did I already say this about how I was reading at the National Review, how they're saying, we did everything we could to try to stop Obamacare, guys. Please don't be mad at us. We really tried. And there's no reference to, we know you hate us because of the Bush years. We know you hate the Republican Party leadership and establishment when they controlled the presidency, both houses of Congress and the Supreme Court, and accomplished none of your goals other than passing more Medicare spending and launching extra wars. They, they don't even, they don't even recognize. That people remember that, yeah, the crash happened when George Bush was still in power, dude. That was when they lost their job because they were sitting at home without a job the day they watched Obama get sworn in. And the conservatives are saying, no, man, you know, this Trump is insufficiently loyal to the legacy of George W. Bush. How dare he? (laughs) So if we had to measure these things by enemies only then I guess we'd have to support him. But unfortunately for them, for him, we don't. But it sure is something to see, though. And, uh, well, you know, I think I made it clear the difference between them trying to smear Ron on this. Ron never had a problem uh, disavowing when that white supremacist gave him money. Ron said, screw him. I'm going to take his money. I'm going to spend it teaching about liberty and and this idiot might tune in and learn a thing or two. Sounds pretty clear to me. Said, I'm not responsible for whoever donates to me or says that they support me. But my message is my message. Individual liberty and dignity for everyone. Peace and hard money. Damn it. Was what Ron said. A pretty solid answer, I think. Not, huh? What? Well, geez, I don't know enough about the Klan. Or David Duke. I don't know enough about David Duke to renounce his support. Give me a break. Can't believe that that's an actual argument that anyone would make. But anyway. Um, I do appreciate the fact that the neocons hate him. But that's the only thing I appreciate about him at all. Everything else says that he's as horrible as any of the rest of these guys. They just don't like him because they don't own him and control him. 
or they're afraid that they don't. Maybe they really don't. Um, and then I wanted to point out real quick how much time I got. Good. I wanted to pick on uh, Colonel Sanders here for a minute, too. This is obviously a thrown election. Isn't it clear that he's not really trying? That he's not organizing his ground game to really turn out the vote? That he's really here just to keep the left half of the, you know, liberal, progressive, socialist movement inside the Democratic Party? Isn't it obvious that Sanders wants Hillary to win the nomination and win the presidency? I don't think he ever thought that he could win. And I think when his numbers started looking up, he probably was surprised that, wow, maybe I could win. And then he thought, nah, I just kind of like campaigning. I don't think Sanders wants to win at all. He's just here to keep you loyal. Or not you, obviously. (laughs) Whoever you are, but somebody to keep him loyal to the Democratic Party and to uh, eventually endorse Hillary and promise that, hey, at least she's not those Republicans. Um, and I think the best proof of that is the way he's just not going after her. He goes after her hardly at all, and especially on her worst legacy, which is Yemen and Libya and Syria. And just think of what mincemeat he could make out of her, could have, and now Super Tuesday's tomorrow, and it's too late. And maybe I'm wrong about this. All the experts on Twitter who've been wrong all along are pretty sure of themselves, but I think it's virtually a lock for Donald Trump. I mean, then again, you know, like yesterday, he does say some crazy stuff sometimes or refuse to say some pretty easy things, and he could still blow it for himself. He is loose cannon enough that he could blow it for himself. But right now, that whole outsider running against the insiders thing is working really well for him, and... I can't imagine a situation really other than him really saying the N-word in front of an open mic or something crazy that uh, Hillary Clinton could beat him at this point. I just can't see it. Although I should admit, I should concede that as far as I can tell from all the TV propaganda and, well, and the poll numbers, it ain't just Bernie's failure. She's getting a little bit better at campaigning this year, I think. She practiced with all her special coaches that fake smile enough, and she's winning over some regular people. I I honestly can't claim to understand it. I mean, I do understand people being afraid of the right, so they pick leaders on the left and that kind of simple crap. But as far as people liking her, people going, mm, I don't know, and then being turned on to her message and rallying to support her, I just, it really is mind-boggling to me, but. She does seem to be a little bit better at campaigning this time, and she doesn't have anything like Obama as a foe in these primaries, as skilled as he was at campaigning and organizing and messaging and all of that stuff. But I think Trump is going to absolutely clean her clock, because when it comes down to it, on the wars, he's going to attack her from the left. And the American people, I think, mostly are pretty much over it now, especially if they're being told by a right-winger that it's okay to be you know, perceived right-winger. And it's going to really hurt her with her base. And that's just one thing. The other thing is, she's under criminal investigation right now, which is kind of something. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new ebook by longtime future freedom author Scott McPherson. Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. This is the definitive principled case in favor of gun rights and against gun control. America is exceptional. 
Here the people come first, and we refuse to allow the state a monopoly on firearms. Our liberty depends on it. Get Scott McPherson's Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the right to keep and bear arms on Kindle at Amazon.com today. All right, I'm Scott. It's my show. You know, the spotlight today on Antiwar.com is by uh, David Stockman, and it's called The Donald for Good or for Ill or The Bad and the Good or whatever, something like that. And he goes into, yeah, he's an anti-establishment guy, and he's killing the establishment, and that's to be admired, and boy, there are a lot of horrible things about him. And really no principle, no understanding of free markets or any kind of thing, man. At least he hates a lot of the same people we hate. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But then he picks on the week, too. Always happy, happy, uh, gladly willing to scapegoat Mexicans and Muslims and people with no political power whatsoever. I got a real problem with that. Picking on Jeb Bush? By all means. I mean, seriously, stomp his head on the curb. Literally, Donald. And I won't mind. And pick on the strong. Be as the meanest son of a bitch you can possibly be when you pick on people with power. And I will sit here literally laughing my ass off alone in a room all afternoon, as I did when Jeb Bush was still in the campaign. And God, I miss him for that. Um, but, yeah, love and bully in the week. Isn't that George W. Bush? Um petty, cruel, little bastard kind of a way. I don't want to comment that too well. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Oh, in the chat room, so we're discussing about whether Hillary's got a chance or not. So my, my take is this on that. She will not be indicted because politics, man. She's far too powerful to go to prison. Not in America. There's no law here. And it's not even necessarily that she has dirt, although she does probably have a personal copy of the old FBI files from back in the 90s. Um, and God knows what from when she was in charge of the State Department. Uh, she is very Dick Cheney-like when it comes to exercising power in D.C. She knows what she's doing, no doubt about that. Well, in some ways, when it comes to exercising power in D.C. But I think just generally speaking, if you're a senator and a secretary of state, you just don't go to jail. You know, unless, what's his name, uh, the criminal from San Diego, where that was just so far beyond the pale, he went ahead and got indicted. But anyway, I mean, that almost never happens. Certainly is not going to happen to her. However, once she's not indicted, if I, I sure hope that decision comes before the election. And then once she's not indicted, you're going to have, and even before then probably, you're going to start having a lot of leaks from pissed off FBI agents saying things like, boy, did I present an airtight case to the grand jury. Is she a criminal? Yes. Did she break the law? Yes. Is she above the law? Apparently so. And that's going to be pretty bad politics. But see, it's not only that. But again, back to Sanders being a jobber here uh, in this, you know, big fake WWE wrestling match thing we got going on. He's not attacking her for the foundations, uh, for the foundation, for the bribery, for the direct bribery. I mean, money to the foundations and then taxpayer funded missiles to satellite states of the empire. Barkered by her brokered and barkered by her i mean there's they got a bunch of these and nobody's even using that against her right now and i think trump's just going to make mincemeat of her and just think of the uh, optics as these horrible people call it of trump saying the iraq war that she supported horrible the libya war that she supported horrible 
the half uh, regime change in Syria. Just look what she's done. And he said before, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama created the Islamic State. And you know what her response was to that? Well, I'm just going to not address Donald Trump right now. Yeah, but that's not going to last in the general election. And guess what? As you know and I know, he's right about that. She did. And as I play at the top of this show, the top of the first hour on this show live every day, she admitted that that's what she was doing. That if you're supporting the rebellion in a civil war where that same rebellion includes al-Qaeda guys, then you're supporting al-Qaeda guys. You could take that clip from CBS News from 2012, a year into the project, and call it a confession if you want. Anyway, I think, so he's just going to destroy her on that, man. Blaming the whole Middle East on her, and it's going to be easy because it's true. Everything that's wrong over there is because of Hillary Clinton. And not only, because see, it's not just that she supported the Iraq war. She could have stopped it. She was the wife of the previous president. And she could have got up there and said, now listen, everybody. You know, I'm sorry about the politics of this. It looks bad, the previous president accusing the current one or whatever. But you've got to know the truth. This is just not true. And she could have led, she could have been the most powerful Democratic voice against war in the Senate with ease. But of course, she had no interest in that. She made the pure political calculation, the same one that John Kerry and Joe Biden made, that better support it this time, because it worked out real well politically for Bush Sr. last time. Hop on board the the uh, bandwagon for the war. And then she supported it in even harsher and more dishonest terms than any other Democratic senator claiming, uh, you know, the, the, the big one, that Saddam was in league with Osama. Uh, even when the others bought into the weapons of mass destruction or whatever. So, oh yeah, she has huge responsibility as such a powerful Democratic senator in 2002 and going along with this the way that she did. And, and in fact, basically giving a de facto uh, previous opposite party president seal of approval in representing her husband's position in the Senate. And how many times in 2002 did you hear, because I sure heard it, even Bill Clinton says they've got the weapons, even Hillary Clinton says that we got to have the war. And Bill did too, of course, on David Letterman. He said it would be easy and fun and take two weeks and be great. And and David Letterman even says, well, that's kind of confusing because if it's only going to take two weeks and be easy, then how come that's the same as there's such a big threat to us? You know, that's the part that I don't understand. Oh, well, whatever. Let's go to commercial. <laughs> It'll be easy, he said. I guess that's good enough. So, uh, yeah, anyway. And also, I think, as uh, Scott Adams, the guy with the Dilbert blog, says, is that basically she appeals to rich, yuppie, feminist, NPR audience, liberal women, and basically nobody else. And the fact that, that Democratic men even turn out to vote for her at all is some kind of miracle. But in the general election, her identity is too narrow. His is much broader, assuming he doesn't make more, you know, ridiculous foot-in-mouth mistakes like he made the other day although those don't seem to hurt him too bad um but uh she is mired in just doesn't she remind you of a boss that you used to have that you hated i know me too she reminds everybody of that and her negatives i don't know exactly what they are now but historically her negatives have never been lower than 45 percent where people just look at hillary clinton and they feel about her the way i do <laughs> 
Why won't she just move away to a faraway place and leave us all alone? That's a real knee-jerk reaction that people have. And, you know, after all, the theme of the year is the outsider versus the insiders. So then again, the insiders are the insiders because they've had a lot of they have a lot of power. But then again, they haven't been able to use it to stop Trump so far. So I think he's pretty much a shoe in. Anyway. Um, yeah, and he is good on Russia. I agree with uh, I uh, I agree with that. That even just the message that, as he put it, hey, you know what? You can't be enemies with everybody. And he's talking about Russia, which of course is the most important relationship between powers ever anywhere, right? Just for sheer numbers of h bombs. Um, now, for me, it's not like that's good enough reason to support him alone, but it is certainly something that apparently a lot of people want to hear, too. Why should we have to have this fake consensus on demonizing and uh, ultimately surrounding and dismembering Russia? It's crazy. It's suicidal policy. It's absolutely crazy. So, anyway, yeah, that. And you know what? I already ran out of time, so I don't even have a chance to say it except real quick that, yes, the FBI could have stopped the first World Trade Center bombing. You can read all about it even in the New York Times. Um, it was uh, Ralph Blumenthal in the New York Times that wrote all about it, and you can read all about it other places, too, how, um, first of all, CIA helped the guys get into the country, and then uh, the FBI had an informant inside the plot and they wouldn't pay him a measly 300 bucks a week or five or whatever it was to remain the informant. So after he left the plot, um, they brought in Ramsey Youssef, who cooked the bomb that almost toppled one tower into the other. So you can read all about that. October 28th, 1993, New York Times. I forget the exact headline now. FBI more aware of bomb plot than previously known or something like that. But anyway, it's October 28th, 1993, New York Times. And plus, nowadays with the Internet, you can find all kinds of stuff about it if you want. Interesting story, important story there. And then I wanted to talk about the central bank, but I don't have time. But you should know that the reason that uh, everything is horrible is because of the central bank, and I'll just have to elaborate another day. Yeah, read some Mises. Thanks, y'all.